Welcome to Scrappy ABM, your source for groundbreaking approaches that don't break the bank. ABM shouldn't cost 200K in tech to even get started. So if you want to get started with ABM or make your program even better without investing a massive amount of money, you're in the right place. Each week, we'll hear from the brightest minds in the marketing world who are redefining ABM, achieving incredible results with untraditional methods, limited resources, and a whole lot of creativity. This isn't a show about how much money you can spend on fancy tech or overhyped tools. Instead, it's about celebrating creative problem solving and the scrappiness it takes to get ABM right. We'll dive into how these marketing leaders built robust ABM strategies with limited resources, revealing the actionable insights that led to their biggest wins. So if you're a marketer ready to challenge the status quo and build a scalable, efficient, effective marketing strategy, Scrappy ABM is the show for you. So if you're ready to discover ABM strategies that are lean, impactful, and utterly transformative, let's dive into this episode. Hello, everybody. Today, um, welcome to another episode of Lunch and Learn ABM. Today, we have a special guest, Mason Cosby. He's a director of Demand Gen with the Sales Assembly. Uh, welcome to the show, Mason. How are you today? I am doing well. Oh, I'm excited to be here and thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming to our show. Um, the topic we have today, uh, uh, it is uh, the most uh, discussed topic across LinkedIn. I've seen this, a lot of people discussing small, big, small enterprise, doesn't matter. It's a very uh, great topic to have in uh, marketing and sales alignment. Although people keep talking, I still feel uh, not many companies are perfectly getting this aligned. Uh, each time, <laughs> even when I talk to clients or when marketing talk to sales or when CSO talks to marketing, there's always a confrontation you know, between teams. You know, hey, uh, now are they're in different, different everybody's living in different walls and they will never align. You know? Maybe that's a, yep. uh, several years of use, getting used to habits don't change or you know their willingness or mindset problem, not sure. So that's why we have you here today. So um, I'm curious to know, uh, is this a problem that you face across a specific uh, enterprises or large, small, or does it matter? So I just want to start getting your inputs from there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that sales marketing alignment becomes more and more of a problem the larger the organization gets because you get these very specific niche specializations of marketing roles that are further and further removed from actual clear, tangible pipeline generation. So, for example... I, I met with our sales team earlier today to talk through the specific plays we're going to run for the next two months in order to generate some pipeline. So like I'm super aligned with our sales team because we're a relatively small team between marketing and sales. Uh, we've got about four people. Whereas when I've worked in much larger organizations where the sales team was 20 people, marketing team was you know 10 people, and we had a, about 600 total individuals within the organization that were working with across you know, not just marketing sales, but also then product and customer success. We're trying to get everybody aligned. I mean, you got 600 people that are involved. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult to align all those people. And because you have all these different specializations, everybody wants to do their job and have their own KPI for success. And sometimes that KPI for success doesn't actually always turn into tangible close one revenues. That's where you get the, the classic funny, but also really sad situation where marketing celebrating that they hit their MQL goals, but sales missed pipeline and sales missed revenue by 50%. So Absolutely. 
that's where I think you're seeing a lot of this misalignment between marketing and sales. Yeah. I, I, I've also seen sales teams fighting over attribution for these, you know, like I, this particular leads is attributed to a wrong sales SDR or, you know, <laughs> it just has to be this particular SDR and I've seen people fighting over it. Right. Okay. Yep. So, uh, so when you come to the challenges, right, because the marketing and sales alignment is is a, a very um, most talked topic, but still it's kind of underrated. What do you think is a challenge that you have seen, you know, in companies or B two B companies trying to incorporate the marketing and sales alignment? What is their biggest challenge? I mean, it's it's the balance between sales activation and brand building. So there's a, there's a fair bit of data that showcases, you know, when you actually invest in long-term brand building, the sales capabilities are actually far easier to, to close deals. The challenge is it's a longer term play. So you've got salespeople and I've sat in sales roles. I've, I've been in that situation where one week I had 10 meetings and my goal was to hit five. And then the next two weeks I have zero meetings. So again, from a sales perspective, I am very week in, week out. From a marketing perspective, good marketers are thinking years over years. So now we've got someone that's thinking, I need help this week. And I've got a marketer that's thinking, well, we're building a much larger vision than what we're going to accomplish this week. And the challenge with that, and I've been saying this a lot recently, like, yes, we need to serve our long-term goals, but the long-term doesn't get here if we don't meet the short-term. If we cannot survive in the short-term, it doesn't matter how incredible the brand we built is. It'll eventually get there because it's not going to be realized. So I think the greatest challenge is just that disconnect between we've got sellers that are looking at their calendars and I'm light and I can't meet anywhere close to my goals. And you've got marketers that are not willing to adjust their initiatives to meet the immediate goals. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's where, uh, you know, the complete alignment goes missing uh, because marketing would always plan long terms and sales will have short term targets, right? And they have the pressure uh, to meet quarterly targets, uh, you know, December targets and then financial year targets. So they keep on going behind targets, but Marketing may not have such short targets, I believe. Right? Okay, now coming back to uh, your core expertise, right, of specific strategies and plays, um, would like to hear from you. Uh, what are your thoughts on how there could be specific uh, strategies or playbooks that you would want to recommend to get this? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I think, I think the first thing and this is not necessarily a, a play, but it is very, very beneficial, is getting marketing and sales in the same room and then also pulling in specifically RevOps and if possible customer success. And I know that sounds like, man, that's a lot of people. But essentially what we're talking about is if we can get those four parties in the same room to actually sit down and go through the process of identifying what is called our total relevant market. So not our total addressable market, but identifying these are the you know, three, 5, 000, three to 5,000 accounts that we're going to say for the next three to five years, these are the people that we're focused on with kind of this idea of, you know, we, we recognize that at any one given point in time, there are three people that are in an active buying cycle. And we also know that there are 17% that are doing research and data. So I kind of look at the total relevant market and say, I want a number that's high enough that I could project if we were to convert 20% of people on this total relevant market in the next three to five years, 
would we be happy with those results? And again, by getting all these different stakeholders in the room to agree on what that list should be on who those accounts should be, then from the onset of who marketing is going after to then deliver to sales to close to then actually give over to CS to manage, everybody's happy from the onset with the kinds of customers that we're going after. So there's that piece. And I don't know that that's a play per se, but the rest of this falls apart if you don't have that piece in place to where we're saying, these are the companies that we want to close. These people that we want to work with over the next three to five years. And as a result, we're now going to build specific programs and actually have specific plays that make sure we're getting in front of these three to 5,000 accounts. So that's the starting point. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I would also add uh, having frequent meetings. So I would like to ask you, how frequent, like say once at the beginning, uh, the marketing sales, the rev ops, everybody's so excited and they want to start. And then slowly as the time goes, the weeks go, months go, then people start losing interest and they get, uh, you know, uh, going, start, start to move in different directions. That's when, you know, so how do you think we should have the teams always align on one straight line or, you know, maybe uh, always uh, be communicating with each other is that uh, something that you've thought about? Yes. I mean, I personally, as a marketing leader, have a one-on-one -on -one every other week with each of the different department heads. So I meet with our partnerships team. I meet with our product team. I meet with our CS leaders. I mean, I meet with our sales team at least once or twice a week. Uh, I have standing meetings with the leadership on a bi-weekly basis, but then we do a lot of working sessions with sales to figure out how we're going to make this, this function. So from that perspective, like there should be constant and frequent communication across all the different teams. But as far as addressing and maybe reassessing the total relevant market, I actually think you let that run for, for quite some time, unless there's a dramatic market shift, or if you have a dramatic product update where you essentially serve an entirely new market, because the reality is like your total relevant market probably shouldn't shift that much. Again, we've, we've gone through the process of identifying three to 5,000 accounts. So from that perspective, it's a large enough pool that I, I don't suspect that you would need to change. Now, what may change within that, and this is potentially a specific play, is within that total relevant market, who are we specifically pulling out for specific programs? And how do we then target within that relevant market? But I think the pool of the, these are the best fit potential customers for the next three to five years. I don't, I don't think that changes because the reality is if you change that frequently, you actually lose the compounding effect of awareness and engagement within those accounts because you're constantly changing in and out that total relevant market. So kind of view the relevant market as the always on top of funnel type campaigns. And then you have middle and bottom of funnel campaigns that are targeted towards specific account lists that are relevant for maybe a specific product update for uh, if we're doing an event in a specific city, we'll pull a list of the VPs and CROs out of our total relevant market that live in that city so we can invite them to those events. So again, we're getting into specific plays, but like how frequently should you change your total relevant market? How frequently should you communicate across the teams? I think you need at least a biweekly cadence across the different teams with leadership. And then I don't think you should change your re total relevant market unless something dramatic happens within the market or your product. Absolutely, absolutely. So is there any handoff that you recommend or you say it, it should be done on ground when they keep doing the meetings like uh, marketing handoffs or sales handoff uh, for accounts? Do you 
do you recommend that to happen uh, at what stage so i i view the the quote unquote handoff probably a little bit differently than most i think the total relevant market is owned by marketing in a, in a large sense of okay how are we going to make sure that we're engaging these individuals but for example one of the plays that that we run is within our total relevant market, we built a list of all the CROs and VPs of sales that would be our decision makers. And what we're doing is on a weekly basis, actually connecting with all of those individuals on LinkedIn so that they're just an active part of our networks. So that as we create content that our CRO is creating, or our, our salespeople are creating, they can start to engage in that content. Now, is that a sales handoff? I don't think that's formally a, ha a sales handoff, but I view that as this is the way that we can be proactive and strategic with how do we build our networks. So marketing is owning that. And then whenever it gets actually handed off formally to sales, I look at this through the lens of we do have a quote unquote lead score, but it's not the traditional like let's pass over hundreds of thousands or that was an exaggeration. But in, in reality, there's a lot of companies that are passing over like a thousand MQLs. My goal is that we do have an MQL because that's what it's called in HubSpot. But essentially you could view it as an actively engaged account. And my goal is to pass over 10 on a weekly basis. So it's not, it's not hundreds of thousands. It's not thousands. It's not even hundreds. My goal is that I pass over 10 high fit, high intent, right fit customers that probably just need a phone call or an email to say, Hey, we see that like you've been engaging with our content for like six months. Like here are some of the things that seem to be trends. Like, is there anything that we can help you with or point you in the right direction? And we're actually positioning sales then as a helpful guide. So that's where I view the sales handoff is once they've shown that significant level of engagement, we're then creating very specific, very personalized outreach that again, we're sending 10, 15, 20 at max on a weekly basis that are specifically asking to schedule that, that call. Absolutely brilliant, Mason, because that's exactly what I was going to, I, I was writing a post for my LinkedIn, um, uh, like uh, switching from cold calls to warm calls, you know, we can say this as warm calls, instead of wasting time on cold calls, you can always uh, mark these 10 and make some warm calls to them. And they're not going to be surprised that you're calling them and you have a reason to speak to them also. Right? So Absolutely. brilliant, brilliant. Yes. Um, so when you're talking about MQLs, uh, so I'm really interested to also ask you uh, about the metrics or KPIs uh, right there. Uh, what's so interesting for you in terms of the metrics or KPIs when you talk about the alignment? Uh, what should the teams look for? Uh, yes. I mean, at the highest level, and it really comes down to what you're compensated on. So I'll actually share, like I have a, a base salary and then a, a bonus that is something that I'm compensated on. And the two metrics that go into what I actually can achieve through that bonus are what we call SAOs, so sales accepted opportunities. So somebody that has made it through a discovery stage. So they've taken that first call. We do see they're a clear fit. There's a clear opportunity. So when I hit that stage, quote unquote, marketing has done its job. The other thing that I'm compensated on from a bonus perspective is actual closed one opportunities. So again, I have two parts to my bonus. So when I think about my KPIs, like the true North stars are, do we have enough sales accepted opportunities coming in on a monthly basis? And do we have enough close one opportunities to actually hit the goals? 
So within that as a marketer, I'm very clearly aligned to sales. I'm not bonused on MQLs. Like I'm not doing MQLs for the purpose of hitting my goals. We don't even actually track MQLs from a goal perspective. We're tracking it on a week in week out basis to see how many opportunity or how many, not opportunities, how many accounts are we able to pass over to sales to do then do really specific warm outbound. But again, I'm, I could generate all the MQLs in the world and I'm not going to get a bonus on it. I'm not compensated on it. What I'm compensated on is do we have enough discovery meetings that actually turn into opportunities? So we're tracking a lot across different KPIs so that we have a visibility into the full funnel. But again, none of that really matters. I don't report on any of that to our executive team. I'm just reporting on, do we have enough discovery calls that were booked this week? What are the sources of those calls? And are they actually starting to convert into revenue? Wonderful, wonderful. So um, it, where does the um, uh, responsibility of uh, marketing come here and uh, when does it go to the sales i'm curious to know um, say for example uh, they want to the cxo wants to track the performance of the marketing versus the performance of the sale uh, sales team um, so uh, would they still be a combined performance metrics or do you think we can still track the performance of the marketing team separately Yes. I mean, I think that there are separate and combined goals. So I think, mm -hmm. for example, one of, uh, a good friend named Sam McKenna, she talks a lot about the fact that salespeople should have a metric around self-source pipeline. So from that perspective, I think that sellers can actually have goals and metrics around, am I generating and creating my own pipeline? And then marketing can also have goals and metrics around, are, is marketing generating pipeline? And then the other metric that, again, I'm not, I'm not bonused on per se, but it is something that we're tracking would be influenced pipeline. Because from that perspective, is marketing doing anything that helps to actually close pipeline? Is marketing doing anything to accelerate pipeline? And are we doing anything that specifically, for example, I'll give a, a real world example. You know, right now our average sales cycle is 90 days. 60 of those days are spent in the contract negotiation stage. So I'm meeting with our sales team to figure out why we have 60 days okay. in contract 60 negotiation. Days, yeah. Like what is happening at that stage? And what we're realizing is we are not bringing enough stakeholders because of the current economic environment. Like we're, there's more and more stakeholders than we've ever seen. So it's not actually a contract negotiation at that point. What is happening is they're having meeting after meeting after meeting showing the product and actually walking through the benefits of the platform to a different stakeholder group, to a different stakeholder group, to a different stakeholder group. And what we're realizing is, man, we we probably need a better succinct, what, what I like to refer to, and I, this is not an original concept, but buyer enablement content. So how do we actually enable our buyers to then go and sell us to the organization? So one of the things that we did is we actually released a fully ungated page on our website that's called Take a Tour. So you get a platform demo using Walnut. And then we actually pull out, because we're a, a skill development platform. So we help you actually upskill everyone across your entire go-to-market team. So we actually pull out content from the platform to then showcase. So now somebody can go in and they can see, oh, this is what the demo looks like. These are some content pieces. These are the audiences that they serve. We serve about 15 different roles across the go-to-market team. Oh, and it's an all-inclusive platform. So I pay one price based on the size of my organization. 
and everybody gets access. So from that perspective, like we've now created buyer enablement content. But when we look at where does marketing and sales, where is that handoff? Sales has got to own the deal and marketing has to then help by providing the appropriate pipeline acceleration content and collateral to ensure that the deals are actually moving. So that's the long-winded answer. That's a real life example of where does that handoff? Like I can't help sales if I don't know what's currently making their deals stall. So it's their job to own the deal, to report back to the team. This is where we're getting hung up and then to actually get the support that they need to accelerate those deals. Absolutely. Because most of the time, the uh, sales uh, would not have, uh, or the marketing will not have an idea how how far in the pipeline are the sales nurturing them. And uh, then the marketing would be uh, actually nurturing them with a different content and sales are not aware of that. Right? So then uh, it, it's you're right. And you know, it's better to have them aligned and have a shared playbook where both of them can uh, use that. Right? So now uh, specifically over here, when we when you talk about the marketing and sales alignment, most of the time, uh, when does a CXOs come here? Because most of the time, I, I, I've seen a lot of CXOs being a little rigid here, uh, you know, kind of old school. They, you know, uh, they would only ask, okay, just talk about the revenues, right? Okay, I, I just need to see the metrics or the KPI. So, uh, so how can we convince the CXOs, no? To say, you know, this is what you can expect out of this, or you know, you're losing something here you know, by not aligning your marketing and sales. So, how would uh, you? How, how have you handled that? Yeah, I think marketers can really set themselves up for either failure or success based on the way in which they interview. So, I'm, I actually had my 90-day review for Sales Assembly last Friday. So, I mean, this is relatively. I'm relatively early in my role. And one of the things that I did during the interview process was laid out a 30, 60, 90 day roadmap and said very clearly, we will not see revenue impact in the first three months. So like if the goal from a marketer, when you hire me is that I'm going to generate revenue within the first 90 days, like it's just, it's not going to happen. Your current sales cycle is 90 days. Like I can't do it. It is physically impossible. What we can do though, is start to see, do we see any level of increase in inbound opportunities. And that like that should be the metric of success within the first 90 days. Do we see an increase in inbound opportunities? Do we see an increase in any opportunities, period? Then the next 90 days is actually looking at those opportunities that were generated and confirming, were they the right fit? And do they close? And I would even say, if you want to take that step further, do they close at a potentially the higher rate? Not even the discovery call. You're directly going to the close. That's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, because again, what I'm saying is within the first six months, yeah. do I generate any actual tangible revenue? I feel like that's a fair thing that marketing can be held accountable to. Absolutely. I mean, we're talking half a year. Now, the caveat is I have worked with larger enterprise organizations. So if you have a standard, there's a company that I worked with when I was agency side that had a standard 24-month sales cycle. Like, obviously, we're not going to see sourced to closed one. What we did see, though, was actually pipeline acceleration. So marketing came in and focused on how do I make immediate impact? 
how do we shorten the sales cycle? So after six months of work, they're actually able to bring down the sales cycle from 24 months to 18 months. That was success. So again, from marketing's perspective, when you come into an organization and you're standing up these programs, you have to have a clear understanding of how long is the sales cycle because how long the sales cycle is then dictates what should impact be and how can then we, we then align what marketing does to that impact. So again, within the first six months, marketing has to make a tangible revenue impact some way, somehow. Otherwise, you're probably going to get let go. Like we're just being blunt about it. So from that perspective, like setting the appropriate expectations and actually building out what I had done in my interview process was a tangible 30, 60, 90 day roadmap. So what I actually did in my 90 day review is I said, these are the things that I talked about when we hired me. We accomplished every single one of these items in the first 90 days. We also seen we were standing getting one or zero inbound opportunities, not form fills, but like true opportunities that make it into pipeline. In the past 90 days, we generated 13. So we can see we went from zero or one on a monthly basis to like six and a half on a monthly basis. That is improvement. Is it where we want to be? Absolutely not. But we're headed in the right direction. Ideally, we'd start to see like 12 to 15. We have a $30,000 ACV. It's a 90-day sales cycle. Like it's not a super expensive, like $150,000 platform. So again, we are kind of a, we're not a volume sale. No one in B2B is a true volume sale, but we're also not like a, we're happy with 20 deals a year. We probably need closer to a hundred. So that's how you then set up for success. So I just want to be clear of very long story short, you have to understand the sales cycle, then actually align marketing to something that is tangible that can be achieved within a three month time frame. And then once you've actually achieved that within a three month time frame, you need to have another three month goal. Because again, we all know that the inevitable goal is that marketing can actually align specifically on sourced revenue. But depending on the length of your sales cycle, that can literally take two and a half years to get to from source to closed one. So that's my high level spiel on like, how do you actually align marketing in such a way that it actually speaks to executives? That's very interesting uh, point. Uh, sourcing from the sales cycle and then marketing to source pipeline. Wonderful. That's a, a really interesting perspective about that. Right. Um, I think we are end of uh, the call today. Um, lastly, I would just allow want you to speak about sales assembly. Uh, please tell us something about sales assembly. What have you been doing there? Um, just curious to know. About... Yes, I mean, the core of what sales assembly does is we help close skill gaps across the go-to-market team. So there's been some recent data that we're seeing that showcases that roughly 70% of employees do not feel that they have the skills that they need to be successful in their jobs. Mm -hmm. 70%. 70%. So if you look at your team, if you look at your team and you got a 10 person team, some of those people feel ill-equipped to do their jobs. What sales assembly does is we actually have across 15 different roles, very detailed learning tracks that take into account how adults learn. It's typically going to actually be best done in a live format where they can engage, where they can actually join in on the conversation. So what we do is we actually have programming that walks over the course of a year, someone that's in a specific role to make sure that they have the specific skills that actually then equip them to do their job. So we have hour long programming. We also have day long certifications. We have half day boot camps. And then we also, I think the thing that people really love 
would be our monthly peer sessions. So we get all of our SDRs that are part of about 200 different B2B tech companies together in a single virtual room to actually discuss live the things that they're experiencing and the challenges that they're facing so that they can solve those challenges together. So again, at the highest level, it's really clear and specific learning tracks for each role across the go-to-market team, its community, its peer sessions. And it is, I think the greatest thing that we actually offer is just confidence. I mean, people, after they've gone through sales assembly courses, they actually have a level of confidence. And as we both know, so much of sales is just having the confidence to know that you can do your job. So that's that's the core of what sales assembly offers. It's a $30,000 a year platform. So, and once you bought it, everybody in your team gets access. So I think, think about it through the lens of who's the perfect best fit. If you've got a hundred people between sales and customer success, it means you're investing $300 per person per year to actually have intentional skill development. So that's that's the high level of what sales simply does and the value that we bring for our clients. Absolutely. And I feel that's uh, the, currently the sales scenario has been changed a lot in the last three, four years, especially you know, uh, it used to be, I, I used to drive long uh, for sales, you know, from state to state. And that used to be like 10, 15 years back. But currently, mm -hmm. I believe uh, most of the million dollar sales are done from from the podcast rooms or you know, sitting from your home office. And nobody, Absolutely. and I think a lot of learning is required to get the confidence. Wonderful. Yeah. Um Okay, thank you so much, uh, Mason, for joining us. It was a really wonderful session having you here with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming. Absolutely, thank you, Om. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scrappy ABM. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go ahead and give us a follow so that you don't miss a single episode. We drop every single Monday so that you can start your week off right. And if you're looking for additional great content just like this, go check out ScrappyABM.com. We're building a library of frameworks, guides, templates, processes, and tools so you have everything that you need to build a low-budget, high-impact Scrappy program. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Scrappy ABM. This has been your host, Mason Cosby, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.